Hey guys, welcome in to the 8th edition, 8th MLS edition of the MLS Bench Podcast. I'm Joey, with me as always, I can say that now for the foreseeable future, are Andres, John, and Matt as we break down uh, a kind of up and down uh, week 8 slash 9 in MLS. Uh, some games were absolute fire and some games were far from it, but we'll try and break down the good ones. Um on the docket today, we have San Jose and Seattle and that craziness. Um, NYCFC in Toronto in a nine-goal thriller. DC United, uh, you know, after firing Hernan Losada, we'll get into that. Um, taking on New England and so much more. Um, but first, I think, yeah, we can only start uh, with the game of the week, in my opinion, due to all the uh, Matias Almeida chaos that we touched on in the last pod. Um, they were taking on Seattle, Seattle, who are um, you know, preparing to play in the first leg of the CCL final tomorrow night. Uh, we're recording this on Tuesday, so Wednesday night they will uh, go to Pumas and uh, take them on for the first leg of the CCL final. And Seattle is just such a such a good team. So many, so many solid players all over the field. So it seemed like San Jose was going to be uh, the uh, the unlucky team in the unlucky time. But, I mean, Matt, what happened here? This one was pure chaos. And it's, it's up and down, up and down, and up and down. Uh, you see that uh, Seattle gets a very, very good start. They jump out in front. Uh, and Christian Espinosa is able to pull one back before half. Um, and there's always the, the cliches of scoring right before uh, or yeah, right before or right after halftime are really the two times that can just break you. Um, and you thought that that might happen to Seattle. They pick up another goal early in the second half, and then it just gets more and more and more chaotic. Even without Almeida there anymore, San Jose just goes on a tear. It's 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 a it's a beautiful beautiful game. And just crazy. Um, they end up winning four three uh, through a goal from uh, Jackson Yule, and then another penalty to to close it off right at the end. Nuts game. Yeah, I think nuts. And you mentioned even without Almeida, because that can kind of the San or the San Jose like like way of playing is you might score some, you're going to concede a bunch. It's going to be up and back, the man marking, all that stuff. And it wasn't that necessarily in terms of the tactics, and yet uh, the game still played out crazy. Um, obviously, uh, I think it was I saw a stat. Like it's the first time in either Seattle's history or in recent history for Seattle that they would have a two-goal lead and end up losing the game. Um, uh, Nico Laderov a penalty um, uh, on 14 minutes after a potential red card review that uh, just ended up being a yellow for Nathan Cardoso um, for San Jose. Rodon a few minutes later, Espinoza ended up getting a hat trick in this one. And that was almost if if it was a normal game, the hat trick would have been the big storyline. But the craziness and the seven goals and the 94th minute uh, penalty by Espinoza ended up uh, stealing the headlines. Andres, I know you got a chance to watch this one. Uh, what did you see from San Jose that, you know, took them over the top in or against a team that I think we all would have uh, predicted uh, would have beaten them in Seattle? Yeah, so I thought uh, I thought Brian Schmetzer made a, an interesting decision to go with 
basically his strongest 11 uh, on a on four days before the the CCL final, especially with guys like Rui Diaz and Lodero that that haven't been always available recently. Um, so I was expecting a little bit more rotation, but basically he said he wanted to to build some momentum going into that CCL final, and it looked like it was going to work. They were really good the first 20 minutes. Um, they deserved both goals. I thought the the Nathan or I, I think his is pronounced or Nathan. I'm not sure. I thought. That was probably worthy of a red card, um, and he got away with one. And then the game kind of turned on them. Uh, the The late goal for San Jose helped, and then Stefan Fry has a has a moment that I'm sure he's he's wanting to forget, where he kind of le- he's leaning the wrong way. The ball comes, you know, to to his near post, and then they turn him over right after that. Forty five seconds later, and I think you know the Sounders weren't expecting. I think they were a little bit shell shocked from that second goal and got got turned over on the on the for the third goal and at that point now you're even. Schmetzer decides at you know 75 80 minutes in. All right, that's enough with with a lot of the starters. So he he takes the he takes Ladero and he takes Rui Diaz out. He takes out Joe Paulo. And I think the Sounders at at that point were expecting to to get an easy win. They were up 2-0 and dominating and they just couldn't really turn it back on um and then the san jose gets that that late penalty i think in a in a different in a different world stefan fry doesn't doesn't have that howler um seattle plays with their starters all the way through and they probably win the game um but it, it wasn't to be so yeah that's unfortunate as a as an mls fan in general because i'm hoping that this isn't the a trigger for uh, for Seattle to to go in with with less confidence um, coming into into Wednesday night's uh, first leg in Mexico City. Yeah, John. Um, I mean, what a game! Uh, pure chaos. Uh, I and Andres, you were bringing up the fact that um, those uh, some of the stars got taken out. Those rotations actually happened on seventy five minutes, uh, eighty two minutes, like after the third goal when it was all tied up. So I don't know if. Because and also at that point, like after that third goal, for the most part, it only looked like uh, San, it was going to be San Jose to grab the late winner. Seattle didn't have much of the game after that. It looked like um, the the Quakes were just kind of pushing and pushing and pushing and had so much confidence. And Seattle, I don't know, for, uh, for some reason, just didn't have it. Um, and then they took out the players. So my guess is that was planned and no matter what that was going to happen. But I mean, I guess if uh, you're Schmetzer, there really is the the more important game to look ahead to. And yet in this one, you know, this is one that you really should have had three points uh, when it was 2-0, when it was 3-1, and it just didn't happen. Uh, John, what did you see in this one? Yeah, I, I think a couple things. Truthfully, I think the stars align for San Jose here. I, I think the, the red card miss is, is particularly egregious. Um, he's really, really high on the leg. Um, both feet studs up. Um, you know, Rui Diaz is really lucky not to get injured there. And, and especially as a Seattle fan, I think you want that, that called as a red card. And that happens in the 11th minute, which is fundamentally a decision that changes the game, right? Him staying in, him coming out, fundamentally changes the game for both teams, right? I think additionally, Andres is right. It was a howler from, um, you know, Stefan Fry. I, I, normally, he traditionally has, has um, 
you know, made those saves. Uh, is this a sign of him aging? Is this just a one-off? It's hard to know. I, I personally have felt that Stephen Fry is a really good goalkeeper in this league, but, but I do think that he sort of is um, being pushed for minutes uh, by Stephen Cleveland, who's his backup. Um, but, I, I, you know, it, it really is the stars aligning because Nico Ladero and Raul Ruiz Diaz have been nursing back injuries and are perhaps not uh, 90 minutes fit. And so them coming off from a Seattle perspective really makes sense, both to save them for the Pumas game on Wednesday, but then also just um, to, you know, really prevent them from energy, uh, from injury, considering they have yet to really push 90 minutes really this entire season. And so um, I think if you're a San Jose fan, um, you're going to say, man, look at Espinoza, look at him um, really just being motivated by sort of the, the changing of the guard. I think if you're a Seattle fan, um, you, you have to sort of say, man, that we were just unlucky on so many fronts. Um, I, I do think that Seattle did put their guard down. And I, I think that in a lot of ways in the back half, this game was given away. Um, but I think there were a lot of things that had to align for it to get there. Uh, I agree. On another day, um, the starters are sort of pushed out, and um, you know this game ends up differently. But I think looking forward to CCL, I, this is a veteran group, and so I don't think that this is something that's going to discourage them. I think this is something that's going to rather motivate them. I, I think Seattle still is pretty firmly positioned to do well against Pumas. Um, and so I, I'm not really worried, both as a Seattle fan and sort of as just analytically trying to take my heart out of it. I think um, Seattle is going to be just fine. I think if you're a San Jose fan, you have to be absolutely ecstatic to get a win against uh, one of the powerhouses of the league. Uh, and you hope that that momentum sort of transfers over, right? Um, and so, yeah, it was an absolute wild game, super entertaining, MLS at its finest. Um, if you're a Seattle fan, you're going to say you're unlucky. If you're a San Jose fan, you're going to say it was an inspired performance. So um, really, really MLS at its finest in terms of uh, entertainment value. It crazy to think that it was only the second most insane match of the day, like or of the Perfect. weekend rather. Uh, looking forward to to um, CCL final. I I'm with you. I'm not concerned about too, having too heavy legs. I'm you know between Rudiez and Lodero, they're coming back from injuries and aging, but they're still absolute professionals. And more than anything. I think that in Schmetzer, we still have a coach that is able to figure that stuff out. So I'm I'm with you. If I'm a Seattle fan, I'm still really optimistic going into Mexico City, um, especially after a wonderful uh, video from uh, a, a Seattle owner. I'm I'm still really excited to see what happens tomorrow. Leaving aside the the craziness that happened on the weekend, that video well, I- by Marshawn Lynch was sick. It was awesome. Yeah. It was awesome. And I think even too, sort of add on what you're saying, I think I saw that Pumas's um, lead striker is hurt. So their yep. star of striker is going to be out. So it'll be interesting to see if Seattle goes in and sort of parks the bus or if they really sort of go for it, especially coming off a loss in the weekend, especially considering a short day's rest. Yeah, I hope they go for it. I mean, you, like you mentioned Juan Dineno for um, Pumas is out, I believe for both legs. Um, I saw some discourse on Twitter, and I think, you know, I'm at least going to side on the, you always want the star players to play, you want it to be a legitimate win. Now, I'm not saying that, you know, it would be, when we look back in 10 years' time, I'll be like, oh, Juan Dineno was out for Pumas, uh, Sounders didn't really deserve it. Like, no, of course not, right? But, yeah, you know, I, a I, win. Right, 
a win is a win, especially the first time. And I mean, it is just one player, right? So I, I think Pumas are going to be hindered by this. He's a very, very good striker. Um, he's been particularly good in CCL. He just terrorized the revs. Um, and so, you know, it's going to be a big loss, but I'm with you guys a hundred percent. This is a Seattle team that, you know, end up rotating those players, Paul, uh, Jao Paulo, Rudiaz, Ladero did not play 90. I mean, they, they almost did. So it's not that much of a difference in terms of like legs or whatever. But I, I think that, you know, they should be fine. They should be, I mean, hopefully as an MLS fan, but I mean, just, you know, logically, I think they should be ready to go. Um, and, I think as we start to transition bef- uh, to the final, I mean, if anybody's got anything more in this game, I'd love to hear it. I, I think Espinoza, I think that's the real thing for San Jose, by the way, him getting his hat trick, uh, finally breaking out of the shell that he hasn't really been able to break out of all year. We know he's a good player, obviously. Um, that's kind of what it was for San Jose, just because it was such a crazy game back and forth. And, you know, some un- uncharacteristic Seattle mistakes, some you know decisions that swung San Jose's way that on a different day, like John was saying, you know, might not have done so. And, you know, it might've been a uh, Seattle win uh, if, you know, the red card goes and some other stuff uh, goes the way of Seattle, but it didn't. And so uh, San Jose gets the four, three win um, in one of the more chaotic games of the weekend. Looking ahead to the CCL final though, um, what are we kind of looking at? What are we kind of uh, seeing as, you know, a Puma side that, you know, it has been good in CCL, but it hasn't looked super dominant in any of the games they've played in, save for that, you know, that ridiculous second leg against the Revs. You know, what are we kind of looking at as we head into that final um, with an MLS, uh, MLS team, you know, with as good a chance as ever to, you know, finally pick up that win? I'll, I'll be really interested to see how... Sorry, go ahead. I was just going to say, right now, I don't think... Puma's not a real good Liga MX team right now. There's one game left in the in the Clausura season, and they are one point out of being out of the Liguilla, and that's 12 out of the 18 teams. So they're they're one point out of being 13th out of 18, um, and they have to play on the weekend their final game, which determines whether they make the Liguilla or not. Whereas Seattle's going to be off. So this is basically the best setup. An MLS team has been going into a CCL final. Their second leg is going to be at home. They're they're going to be on a full week's rest, and they're going to be playing a team that's not at the top of their of their game right now. So I'm I'm also pretty confident in Seattle coming through. It's just never happened before. So until it happens, you you always kind of have to protect yourself a little bit emotionally, I guess. Yeah. Do you would you say that the biggest thing for Seattle to be prepared for is how to contain Luis Moslo for, for for Pumas? He seems to be the real real danger man. He creates a ton, uh, I believe, from the right back position and can just run up and down that wing constantly. It's it's interesting because it's it's Mosa and it's been Antuna, right, a for, former former Galaxy player that that put it on the Reds. So. Yeah, I mean, it's it's one of those things where you got to survive. I think the the biggest key is going to be that that second that second leg. Uh, oh, I'm sorry, is it Antunes Cruz Azul? Isn't he? Yeah, I'm I'm getting yes, I'm getting confused here. Yeah, but I think I think the biggest the biggest key here is surviving the last thirty minutes tomorrow night, um, at altitude, at CU, um, staying staying focused 
and concentrated in the in that last 30 minutes when when your lungs start burning uh because you know Seattle's not not necessarily at what is it a mile a mile and a bit up in altitude so if you can get through you know either either at a draw or at a at a one nil one one type result um then i think you're you're set up pretty well you saw what they did with leon so that's yeah. kind of where i'm looking at got to give yourself a chance especially if you can get that away goal i think one of the things that i'm going to be looking at is who's going to be starting in that center back position jackson regan has had some really good outings he's you know, showed his inexperience at times, but he's done really, really well playing out of the back, which is something that Brian Schmitzer, of course, really, really loves. Um, and Yamar is coming back from injury. And so in a lot of ways, Schmitzer has a decision to make about who he's going to trust in the back in a really, really crucial game. Um, is he going to choose the young guy who's sort of up and coming and maybe has some inexperience? Or is he going to choose um, Yamar, who is defender, you know, candidate for defender of the year last year? And um, you know, was a was an all star and um, is coming back from injury. It's gonna be really interesting to see what he chooses to do there. Um, that's an interesting. That's an interesting interesting point, John, because he made a sub in that San Jose game where he it was Ariaga came out for Yamar and Reagan stayed in, um, and that was a little bit. I was a little bit confused by by what that sub meant. I think that's a good point. It'll be interesting to see who who, who he chooses in that center back role. I'm not sure. If, did you guys hear anything about why that's or what the thought process was behind that? No, I didn't hear anything. I mean, if you're going to like if we can look at it and try to like analyze in a way that we probably shouldn't because we're not him and we're not on the team or in the coaching staff. I mean, all the players who came out were I mean, you would presumable starters for that game. Ladero, Rudiaz, Paulo, Jordan Morris and Ariaga were the ones who came off. So that might be honestly like let Ariaga come off, rest the legs, and we go again um, on Wednesday. That would be my guess. But whether that means that it's Yaimar or it's Reagan, I don't know then because you're right about Yaimar coming back from injury. I I mean, it was a crazy game, so I think it's hard to like judge individual players because some of the goals were like uncharacteristic, crazy. Set, one was off set piece, penalty, I believe. And then another one was obviously the, the Fry error the turnover so i mean it's hard to necessarily measure up like yaimar's performance over the i don't know 40 minutes that he was in the game but if you have any qualms whatsoever about him starting i mean john you can correct me especially as a seattle fan but i mean i don't think that you would be scared to throw reagan in that environment because he has shown in the games that he's played that he's a solid center back and can pair well with ariaga yeah i mean i think that he he's done well i, I think Ultimately, Schmetzer is going to have, you know, some decisions to make. Um, at, from the outside looking in, it's kind of always been uh, Yamar's sort of play out of the back has always been a little questionable. Um, his defensive skills have always been above reproach, but his, his passing has always uh, maybe left something to be desired. And so part of me thinks that Schmetzer really, really loves that option in Jackson Reagan. And so he's just kind of evaluating um that play but i mean yamar brings so much especially in the air especially with his size he's a very very physical center back um you know very athletically gifted as well as his positional awareness and so it'll be an interesting choice for sure and i'm sure fitness will play into that um and it may even be a question of whether he wants yamar to play alongside 
um, Jackson, right? Uh, maybe maybe he decides that Ariaga needs to sit. I don't know. Um, it'll be interesting for sure. Um, the only other thing I would add is that as a Seattle fan, I think I'm morally obligated to say that um, the penalty uh, was a little soft at the end. Um, again, as a Seattle fan, it feels like my moral obligation to say that. Um, but <laughs> yeah, anyway, just, just a thought to end on. Um, maybe, maybe some neutrals can disagree with me, which is, which is fair. Um, but um, yeah, I don't know. I'm excited for Pumas. I'm excited for the rest of the season. I, I think Seattle has a lot coming, and when their attentions aren't split, it'll be interesting to see what they do in the league. And uh, yeah, I, I hope that they're the first. I think they would be a deserving first. I think I heard that somewhere else, like in the grand scheme of MLS teams who have sustained excellence, especially over the last decade, you would almost hope that Seattle will get it because they've just been able to replicate success upon success, multiple generations now, basically of players. You got Dempsey, you got, you know, um, Martins, you got that, that awesome team, crazy team um, of 2014-15, won the cup in 16. And now this group, you know, kind of bridging the years where there was, you know, a lot of these guys, and then you would throw in the younger guys now, Reagan and Vargas. I mean, it's in terms of, you know, multiple generations of dominance, I'd say basically dominance in league play, you know, not missing playoffs almost at all, if at all, you know, multiple MLS Cup finals, I think four in a couple in like a six year span or five year span, two MLS Cups. Seattle, it would be the deserving team to do it. And as an MLS podcast, MLS fans, here's hoping that they do. Um, obviously, we have more, we'll have more on that next week, heading to the second leg, and then probably touching on that two weeks from now when uh, the dust settles and we will have a CONCACAF Champions League champion um, that will end up going to the uh, FIFA Club World Cup then. Um, it never stops. And yeah, hopefully Seattle's the one to do it. Um, Matt touched on earlier that this was not the craziest game. The San Jose Seattle game was not the craziest game of the weekend. And honestly, at least in terms of goals, I would have to agree because NYC FC, oh, NYC FC and Toronto had a nine goal thriller. And uh, they taught that with Toronto coming out, getting two, go- two goals within 30 minutes. Um, and then it was basically NYC FC from there on, even uh, after that first Toronto goal. Um, it really felt like it was all the home side really after 10 minutes uh, until some, you know, late, uh, late goals from Toronto and a red card, but really for, you know, an hour plus uh, NYCFC has that talent gap versus every team and showed it. Um, I think, and Andres, you were mentioning this uh, before we started, I, and I'll go to you on this just the quality level and just the quality of players that NYCFC have is just so incredible. I mean, it's hard for them to lose when they have so many talented young players who just always seem to find the most beautiful of goals. Yeah, those front four. uh, So that's Tati, uh, Santi Rodriguez, Talis Magno, and Andrade. Their their interplay between them is, is really, really good. Um, and they just get so many numbers going forward, even even with Tavon Gray coming up like uh, Tinnerholm would, would would used to, um, and they can they can play in tight spaces, they can find through balls. Um, Tati's attacking basically every ball and, and hitting it one timer. Um, they could have had almost ten goals in this game. They were 
they were that impressive in the final third. And, uh, you know, Bono made a one-on-one save on Tati. Tati had a different goal uh, taken back because of an offside on a crazy one-timer off of a off of a corner kick. Um, they're just really, really impressive. And again, this is without Maxi Morales. Uh, the sky's the limit on this team. They um, they are as dominant in that final third as LAFC were in 2019. And we could be seeing a really historic type of attack uh, the rest of the season. It was really impressive to watch. It's nice to see that they're figuring it out fully now that they're they're not having to split um, their attention with CCL. Like the the level that they're playing at is pretty fascinating. Um, I'm hoping that they'll get healthy on the back line too, because I would love to see more of Alfredo Morales a little bit further up. Um, obviously, playing at center back this uh, this week for for Chanel. Um, they are going to be fun to watch, and I think. Uh, Dallas, the right coach right now for them too. I feel like they're building up a lot of those young prospects too. And I think just last thing that I want to note on uh, Tati Castellanos is not playing like he is upset with not having gone to Europe in the last last window. He is flying. Um, I think that they're going to get every single dollar that they were hoping for uh, for him. By the end, or once summer comes around, I just want to throw a number at you guys real fast. 11. 11 goals over two games since they got kicked out of CCL, right? Absolute statement wins from NYCFC. I, I, I think that, you know, they are, they are pumped up and they are ready for this season. And I, I totally agree. Outside of um, being able to now focus on the MLS season, being out outside of CCL, they are, they are here and they are making their presence loud and clear. Um, and it also kind of does beg the question, right? Because in those CCL games, they were playing without, and you'll have to correct me if I'm wrong, I think they were playing without Morales in both legs. And so... Yep, uh, that's right. So it, it really does beg the question of, of what could have been, right? So, um, yeah, absolute statement wins. Yeah, it's unbelievable. And, like, I, I don't think that the, the standings right now if you were if you're like a standings merchant or like a final like a box score merchant and you just like look at the standings and you see nycfc in seventh like oh wow this this team is not what they're talking no 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 this team is something special um i think the champions league exit uh will be the inflection point of the season i don't think you know five and a half goals a game is sustainable right which they've achieved in the two games since like you were uh, talking about john but i think um over the long run as we you know move in the season further on and they continue to you know gain health uh and just gain that cohesion that they uh, like finished with last year um i the like you said the sky is absolutely the limit because um i i like the comparison with lafc um that you know the attack is just so so lethal um the quality is just so so high and uh john you met you threw out some numbers so i will throw out some numbers too uh in that starting uh that front four that we uh love to talk about without maxi morales uh the, the front four that started this game and three of them got a goal um 
Tati Castellanos is 23. Tyus Magno is 19. Santi Rodriguez is 22. Tiago Andrade, 21. That's young talent that will sell for a lot of money. A lot of money. Um, whenever they uh, decide to you know, move their talents elsewhere, hopefully to uh, bigger and better things in Europe in the top five leagues. But I think for now, it's just it's a privilege to watch, you know, four of the four young stars that, you know, would be stars in most leagues that they would play in um, thrive in our league. And I think, you know, last point before I'll, uh, you know, I'll, you know, throw it up to you guys is. Um, with the Tati uh, situation, like you touched on, Matt, I think it's very wise to point that out. And I think it's also, it needs to be pointed out that sometimes teams will have a very quick trigger because they're scared that, you know, the, the value will lessen. I don't think that is anywhere near the case right now. If anything, it's gone up for Tati. I think you can hope for 20 million because he clearly looks at like the kind of striker that will get his goals however they come and yet will link up and he's the perfect striker. Um, he's tall, he's strong, he can pass, he does everything that you need to do, and he clearly has that finishing touch. Um, for him, the sky's the limit. For this team, the sky is the limit, and it'll be so much fun to watch uh, what they're able to do moving forward in the season, even as a Union fan. Um, I, this is a team that if they take over the Union in the standings or beat them in the playoffs, I'll just hold up my hands in respect because... Uh, you know, the, the talent level is just that high. Uh, Andres, um, do you have anything on Tati? Yeah, so I, I like to ask the, the group because I think January, February, March, it was a foregone conclusion that he'd be sold, if not before the season, minimum by the summer. But do you think, and, and, and watching him play over the weekend, uh, I was thinking, man, he has, a, he has a chance if he stays through the season for... 2025 goal season with potentially the best team, another MLS Cup. If you're City Football Group and if you're Tati Castellanos, are you maybe rethinking leaving in the summer or selling in the summer and going to Europe and waiting until after the season and making a winner move? Um, it's, of course, you run the risk of injury, but I'm thinking the price tag may go up in December and you might have another MLS Cup by then. Uh, just curious what you guys think. I, I think that we have two different questions and two different answers. If I'm City Football Group, I, I don't want to sell him because he's winning for probably like the the second, third maybe team in their in their structure. Probably third or fourth maybe. Um, if I'm Tatsi, this is the best time because you're going to go for a big number and when teams pay big big numbers they also play those players and i think that i i'm going to be shocked if he doesn't go before the end of the summer um i could see it happening though depending on what's what city football group considering their network and considering their connections what they can pull together for him if they can fashion a deal for him to go to Man City and then be loaned out for a season or two. Maybe he looks at it that way. So it's possible. I think uh, just to play sort of devil's advocate, it is a World Cup year. And if you're, you know, if you're a player, this is the year that you want to stay put 
and try and impress, um, you know, your national team, right? So Tati Castellanos is, is trying to break into the, you know, Argentina national team, which is, of course, a, a very difficult team to break into, right, especially at his position. Um, and, you know, if you're a player, th- these are the things you, you think about, right? Uh, World Cups don't come around, but every four years, and, and really form matters a lot, right? And who gets um, invited to play with the national team. And so I, I, I agree that maybe if this was a normal year, the summer window makes sense. Uh, but, but I, you know, I, I'm a little hesitant. I think if I'm, if I'm a player during this World Cup window, I'm going to be pushing to try and play with my national team. And I think that that might be going through Cassianos's, uh mind for the summer. Um, if he gets, tr- you know, traded or sold, I, I don't think it's going to surprise anybody. But it also wouldn't surprise me if they hang on to him and if he's okay with that. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm with that. I, I honestly like the idea of the uh, Toddy to City loan him out. Like, I, I wouldn't put anything past City Football Group because we know that those connections run deep. Um, but I think my opinion on this is basically if Tati wants to go, I think that the ceiling for any MLS striker, even if it's a 23-year-old coming into his prime soon, banging in 20 goals a year, assisting, doing all the right things, even if you're the best striker in MLS by such a long margin, I'm not sure that the price tag goes much higher, right? I think there's a cap at some point. And I think it's up to City Football Group and Tati to realize when he gets to like kind of that ceiling, when is the right time to go? Who's the right team to go to? Because I'm not saying that he's there yet, but I'm saying that he's getting pretty pretty close to the, you know, top value with the age thrown in there of, hey, you're not gonna go for much more than, I don't know, 20, 25 million out of MLS. It's just not gonna happen. And you know, for a player that good, you'd hope that's to a team that can continue to get minutes and, you know, you know, so on and so forth. So my guess is when the deal, when the, um, the, the requests come in this summer, cause it's going to happen. You pick the right team. I think if it's Manchester city interested, they will have priority over those other teams. But I think for Tati, you're looking for a team that you can continue to develop at who, you know, might not be, one of the most amazing teams in Europe, but a team that will give you further legitimacy than MLS. Cause like it or not, MLS does not give you the full legitimacy that you need as a transfer, you know, to kind of, I don't know, to, to reach your ceiling. So when those things, those things kind of come in, uh, into place, I think that's the team he goes to, um, as it pertains to the national team. I think it's a long shot. I don't think it's, that long of a shot, though, because they need youth, right? Di Maria is in his 30s, Messi's in his 30s, Mario Cardi, who's kind of on the outside looking in, also in his 30s. So there will need to be turnover at some point. I think if he's able to show it in Europe, right, if he finds the right move, here's where I'll contend with what you said, John, if he finds the right move to Europe and continues to uh, do the same stuff there, I think that's when he really starts to get into those conversations. Um, but yeah, I think... Uh, Really, there's not a wrong necessarily decision right now because the money will be so good and the teams will be so many that they will have their pick of the deal. Um, and hopefully, it's a good one. Uh, anybody have anything else on Toddy, or we can move on? I think we're good. Yeah. I okay. Um, so another crazy game, great game from NYCFC as they beat Toronto five four. 
And I guess we'll go to the uh, other coach firing, big name coach firing recently, other Argentinian coach firing uh, recently. DC United, um, Hernan Losada is out. Uh, before we get into their game with the Revs, which was, was another, um, I think, definitely thought-provoking one as we move forward, uh, what are our thoughts on uh, Losada as he, um, I think, surprisingly leaves DCU, albeit with DCU um, not in a pole position whatsoever, uh, right now, even after this win versus the Revs, 11th in the East? I'll I'll jump in a little bit on that, and this is going to be echoing quite a bit of what um, David Goss said on Extra Time uh, last week. If I'm a DCU fan, I'm really concerned about the plan for the club because it it, it had already been uh, reported on that uh, Losada was not the f- first coach that they were trying to go after, but he's also a very very system driven coach, and so. It feels like you need to have a better idea of who is actually going to be in that role if they're going to be a coach like that specifically. Um, And so then to just change course pretty quickly, I'm concerned. Um, I I think that some questions need to be asked. Uh, I, I think that there's some investment that's coming that I think is good but they have got to f- have a, a plan set out that they can really, really follow. I, I'm just, I'm not convinced at this point. I mean, I was, I was a little bit surprised. Um, I guess after hearing a little bit more from, from the players and kind of a background of what was going on at the club, I'm less surprised because the results weren't great, but I thought the style of play was interesting. And they, they just brought in Taxi Funtas, so I guess... We'll talk about here in a minute regarding the, the game against the Revs. And he hadn't even gotten to, to really coach the new DP. Um, so I'm surprised. I was surprised initially at how quickly they pulled the trigger, just 40 games in. But it seems like it was personnel driven or personality clashes driven, maybe. And when you weren't the first choice to begin with, and then the results aren't great and then you lose some of the locker room, it, it appears, then I guess it makes more sense. But uh, it took me for a bit of a surprise when I first heard the news. Yeah, I mean, I think, and I'll get to you, John, then in a sec, the Funtas thing is super interesting because my guess, I mean, if you're not going to let Lasada coach him, my guess is that that wasn't a Lasada uh, signing. That's just a front office. Let's bring in somebody who can be interesting signing. I mean, that's the only... A reason for it because he only got his first minutes um last week in that crazy game with austin um if if this was supposed to be a let was let him fit into the losada system i mean i i just don't see how that could be the case based off um his you know what 30 minutes that he got under or not before uh he was out the door so yeah john what are your thoughts on the uh, losada dcu kind of conundrum that they're in now yeah, I think that this kind of just screams that there's personnel and personality issues. I, I think when you see something like this that maybe is a little puzzling from the outside, that must mean that there were really, really clear reasons on the inside, right? Um, you know, we only see the, the results on the field and you're, 
football and, and being a coach is much more than that, right? There's a whole man management part of the game that other coaches are really famous at, are, at being good at. And, um, you know, when coaches lose the locker room, I mean, we saw it in Atlanta over the past couple of seasons, it can just be really problematic. Um, and I think that that clearly is what happened here. Um, maybe dreaming a little bit. I think there's a lot of options going forward for DC United. Um, how fun would it be? And again, this is definitely a dream, but how fun would it be for Wayne Rooney to return to his old club and sort of, um, you know, develop his coaching prowess? Uh, and that'd be an inspired club. signing if they can pull something like that off. Which so you don't go into fun. there's a chance, but I, I'd be surprised if they're able to land him. It's a dream for sure, but how, how fun, yes? I mean, that's what this podcast is about, dreaming sometimes. But, um, yeah, I don't know. I think that there's problems on the inside, and I think that their next hire needs to be someone who maybe from a personality fit is, is a better fit for them. Yeah, it seemed like it was never the best of fits. Uh, honestly, the Rooney thing, I, I obviously I don't think it's going to happen, but it seemed like he enjoyed his time here. He, I mean... He was signed by big enough money that he wanted to come in the first place, right? And Darby County, he has done an unbelievable job with them because they had some crazy, I believe, I don't know how, they were deducted either 20-some or 30-some points and didn't even finish last in the championship and still had a sort of chance heading into the final couple games of maybe just maybe pulling a miracle. He worked wonders with that team um, from the situation that they were dealt with. And yet they will be in League One. Wayne Rooney, I think, he clearly shows that he's cared for this club. Um, he did not give up on them when they had that massive point deduction. But will he want to manage in League One, I think, is the question. I mean, I would probably see him, just based off name recognition, probably be closer to the Premier League, honestly, than he would be to MLS. But, hey, you can dream sometimes. And that would be so, so amazing if Wayne Rooney would be on the sidelines managing DC United week in, week out. That would be a sight to see. Um, if you're in the front office, it's worth at least a phone call, right? Like, you're yeah, at least making a phone call once, right? Absolutely. Yeah, why not? Honestly, why not? Um, but yeah, I think that's kind of it for Lasada, just because it seems like there's issues there. And, you know, I don't think blaming anybody necessarily, because, I mean, in these situations, it's kind of a little bit of everything. It just doesn't seem like it was a great fit. So hopefully, DCU, who are obviously a club of uh, much history, are able to move on and... Um, winning start winning in the future because last last season i think it's uh easily forgotten i saw somewhere i think they were like eight right in the east they were only a few points first out team of out of the playoffs yeah i mean they were so close to making the playoffs um and what has fo- happened since what has uh followed that um just not making the playoffs has not been uh anything that dcu fans want to see moving forward so hopefully they, they get that cleaned up and it they kind of did it started versus uh New England this last weekend um, with the interim coach. Uh, obviously, they're still going to look for that hire in the uh, weeks and months ahead. But <laughs> so far, so good. Um, as they take uh, last year's Supporters Shield winners and, uh, you know, beat them somehow. Uh, 3-2 uh, in one of the uh, most... I think it's not a chaotic game. But it's one of the more interesting games because of all the storylines going around because of the New England stuff that's uh, coming as well. I think I'll just kind of throw it out there because Taxi Funtas looks like the real, real deal. Uh, two goals and assist, I believe. Um, 
a noisy goal, I think, uh, certainly, um, in terms of the uh, uh, statistical analysis there. But Funtas looks like the real deal. And, you know, uh, New England only grabbed their second goal really late. DCU basically dominated this game uh, for large stretches uh, and were the deserving winners after 90 minutes, I thought. I agree. I think they were they were the better team, and DC got an early goal, and from then on, I mean, excuse me, the Revs got an early goal, and then from then on, DC was the was the better team, and you know, there's I agree with Tac with with Funtas looking like a like a good player. His movement in is is really good. He's active. Um, he's got some skill, but you know, there's also there's a quite a few things going on with New England that I think have to be worrisome. We talked, we we touched on it last week about you know how much less solid defensively they are, and again they another three goals. Um, one of them, I think it was the last one. You'd have to say that keeper probably should have done better on. Um, you would you would expect that to be stopped if Matt Turner's in the game, but there's there's a a couple of other things going on. You know I don't think I don't think Omar Gonzalez starter in this league still. Um, Emma Boateng was always better as a 15-20 minute, you know, ignite, uh, direct, direct uh, the defense type of guy. And he he started in this game. Um, so there's there's quite a few things going on with New England that that I think are are troubling. Yeah, I'm I, I'm concerned about New England. I uh, it's it's you know close to my heart, but it, it I'm getting some 2019 Sporting Kansas City vibes. Like we have an aging team coming off of CCL and are getting really really stretched now, and they're struggling. Uh, they need to figure out what to do. I'm hoping that Henry Kessler can come back full-time from injury now. Um, I, I saw that he was subbed on for that match, uh, but he needs to be playing at the level that he was last year. Um, Matt Turner had them playing, or he was adding goals left, right, and center for them uh, by saving them effectively. So they need to get some more you know, production in kind. Uh, from that goalkeeping position, I'm I'm just a little bit concerned. So um, I think it might be a real struggle for Revs this year. Yeah, I I totally agree. I think one of the things that should be said is just how many close games the Revs had last year that Matt Turner just really carried them in. Right? Um, he had an inspired year last year, and many games were just outright won by Matt Turner's performances. And so certainly I think the Revs' performance and goal has, has been left wanting. But I, I also think that as a whole, you know, they're just struggling. Uh, it was really, really interesting. There was a video t- um, that was making the rounds on Twitter of Carlos Heel um, yelling at Bruce Arena right before halftime. And, you know, it's hard to, to see that and not wonder if maybe there's problems in the locker room. Um, and you also have to wonder that with that many veteran guys on a team, you know, how does that play out, especially when the results aren't coming, right? I mean, they have Altidore coming off the bench, and he, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, I, I don't think he's scored yet. And so I, I think there's some massive problems for the Revs. Um, but I also don't want to take anything away from DC United. I think they played a good game. Um, I really liked Brad Smith um, down that left-hand side. He connected with Funtas really good. 
I think he quietly has been a really, really good off-season sort of acquisition within the league. Um, and so I think DC certainly played inspired after uh, the changing of the guard. But yeah, I, I think if you're a DC United fan, there should be some optimism going into future weeks. And I think if you're a Revs fan, you should be, you should be scared that maybe um, uh, in some ways you're not doing as well as last year, but also in some ways this was to be expected with how many close games were around last year that Matt Turner sort of carried. So. I think that's the story, right? Like last season, an anomaly. This season, I also think, you know, in the grand scheme of the player pool, probably an anomaly as well. Like I'm a big fan of like statistics. Um, and you know, often it's a, it, the revs seem like a team to me where they are, they're going to keep every game close. Cause they don't really like, they aren't explosive. Like they're not going to lose a ton of goals and they're not going to, you know, score a ton. And Matt Turner is unbelievable at saving goals. And <laughs> when you have him in there, that kind of makes all the difference. Um, but Brad Knight had made some great saves in this game. It wasn't just bad, right? It, and the same could have been said for Earl Edwards when he was um, starting at the beginning of the season. But Matt Turner is just, I mean, there's a reason why he's going to move to Arsenal, right? He's that good of a keeper. Um, when you have players like Carlos Hill, Adam Busa, Gustavo Bo, and, you know, more, you can add on to that, you know, Sebastian Legette, who's a really good player in this league. We talk about Kessler. Farrell, I mean, like, and obviously the outside backs who I love so much, you know, guys who I hope can break into the uh, U.S. national team sometime in the future. They're not a bad team, and yet they haven't been getting results so far this season. I'm not sure that that's because, um, I'm not sure we can put that all down to Turner, all down to one thing or another. Sometimes you get unlucky, or sometimes you get unlucky for a couple games straight. So I'm hoping that this isn't something that, you know, is necessarily going to carry on. I think the Revs should be able to make the playoffs. If they're not, it, it's going to be a massive problem. But it, it's not looking good so far this season. And I think that can basically be attributed to lack of Matt Turner. And like we've been saying, you know, past two episodes, these close games aren't swinging their way anymore. I said that this was a dominant performance by DC. I'm not sure if that's 100% the truth or at least borne out in the traditional methods of dominance possession and such. But in terms of good chances, they had many more good chances or at least many more threatening counterattacks than New England had. Even though New England had, I'm just looking, 68% possession, they weren't able to create much at all. And that is with Carlos Hill in the lineup. That is with uh, Books in the lineup as well. So, you know, potential issues there of chance creation, even with the outside backs bombing up the flanks as always. I think, you know, if any of you guys want to touch on that, like, Reb's chance creation, it just doesn't seem like anything's working right now. And hopefully it's just a minor bump in the road, but I, I don't really know because it's, this bump has been, you know, it's not just a CCL problem anymore. They're over a month, I think, removed from their last CCL game. This seems to be a longer term thing, at least at this point. I was just going to say, I said it last week, um, Tejan Buchanan was a huge part of that chance creation last year, and, and so was Gustavo Bo. And this week we got Manuel Boateng and Sebastian Legette in those spots, and, and neither one of those guys are really the same type of player. And it just makes life a lot more difficult for, for Carlos Hill because he has to operate in, in areas and spaces that are 
a little bit more complicated um, and so that that just exponentially increases the difficulty in which he can uh, he can operate so he's still doing what Carlos Hill can do um, but he's just got less pieces around him and a part of that is both those players were super super active when they were dropping into um, into midfield and really really pressuring up on some of those other or of those opposing players and so i think seeing that lack of pressure i i think andres you were saying something about um their press is just much easier to play through yeah it was an interesting uh comment in doyle's column um this week um so full credit to matt doyle who in turn gives credit to second spectrum about how they pressure forward passes. Um, 33.6% of forward passes is what they're pressuring currently. Last year was 41.8. This year they are second to last in the league. And last year they were about mid-table. So they weren't elite at it last year, but they're clearly bottom of the league in terms of pressuring in the midfield. And that's just creating uh, a a lot of work for Matt Polster then and then be, beyond Matt Polster, it gets to a back line that's been inconsistent and then a goalkeeper that's been inconsistent. So on the surface, it, it doesn't, it's not super obvious why they're shipping so many extra goals, but once you dig in a little bit, it seems like um, it's just a cascading effect of pressure and then inconsistency from the back line and the goalkeeper. Yeah, I think the goal really is to get that consistency back. And in turn, you know, that'll be... Uh... The Rebs hopefully back in form. I'll move on to uh, our last game. I really want to touch in, you know, in some sort of depth, and then we can, you know, start to wrap it up. Uh, Orlando and the Red Bulls. The Red Bulls. Um, I'm always so impressed uh, with them. Um, you know, just the way that they play. And this year has been, you know, more progressive, more attacking uh, than last year, which was just very much a counterattacking. You know, win it, win it one nil games. And for me, that makes this team even more enjoyable uh, as they uh, do indeed uh, beat the Red Bulls by a score of uh, 3-0 in Orlando. Um, by like chance creation stuff, definitely, definitely um, Red Bulls. But from what I remember, it, it didn't seem like Orlando had, um, had what they've had of the ball, similar to the... Uh, to, to the last game we discussed, the DCU uh, Revs game, it wasn't too progressive. It wasn't threatening. Um, and the Red Bulls, like, counter-pressing, I guess, is good enough to, um, to to win a lot of those, you know, midfield battles, win a lot of those quick transition attempts back that I think, at least from a Red Bull position, you're sitting pretty right now because it doesn't seem like there's too much that teams can do to threaten your goal, right? I mean, Matt, I don't think that's... A terrible statement, yeah. especially with Aaron Long back and better than ever. Yeah, I've been really, really impressed with seeing how the Red Bulls have pulled their shape in really, really well. And you're right this this kind or this match really showed the difference between possession and meaningful possession. Red Bulls were able to go ahead and disrupt through their midfield, get that ball further forward, and then the big difference between last year and this year is that they're converting their chances. And that comes down to Fletcher being brought in. That comes down to Lu- Luquinas being brought in. Yes. Uh, 
we're seeing some really, really solid play. Uh, Lewis Morgan gets back on the score sheet for the first time since the his hat trick in one of the first two weeks. Um, they're they used to be good at creating chances. Now they're also filling in on that, and that means that they're going to be a threat. Yeah, this was my uh, surprise result of the week in in terms of Orlando just came off a win at Columbus where I thought they played really well um, and got a 2 nothing win, come back home. Uh, both teams had to play midweek in the Open Cup, and then the Red Bulls had to travel. Um, and Red Bull defensively has been, I mean, we saw it last year, how many 1-0 um, type wins they'd get. And defensively, they've been really good and even better now with Aaron Long coming back. Um, but I wasn't expecting 3-0 on the road to Orlando. Um, and, and yeah, it was one of those games where Orlando had the majority of the possession, but really didn't create um, many chances. They were pretty flat. And then the Rebels could hurt them coming back the other way. Uh, so in terms of like sustainable type results where you say, okay, this is interesting going forward. I thought that this was this was the, the one that jumped out to me uh, because of the way that they did it. And because they did it on the road, um, and because they've been so solid defensively, they start finishing chances, and that's going to be a really good team. Um, another New York team that's that's probably pretty good. Yeah, John, I, I think the real interesting point of this game was the Red Bulls, you know, we know the Red Bull way, the kind of the Red Bull system that, you know, pressing, counterattacking method. If we're able to pair that now, you know, say we as like, if I'm a Red Bulls fan, if the Red Bulls are able to pair that more with, you know, those, you know, dangerous attacking moments with holding the ball actually in, you know, areas where you can start to create chances and do it in a sustainable way like we saw in this game. I think that says not only are they here, you know, for to challenge versus Orlando or in, you know, one-off game situations, they're here to challenge for the whole season and they're going to be a threat as we move into the playoffs. And I, I think at the end of the day, like, that is the question. Like, what are they going to look like? going forward and i think even looking immediately they're going to play a chicago fire team who's coming off uh, honestly uh, a difficult loss last week to or this week rather to minnesota uh, a loss where honestly i didn't think that they looked too terrible i, I thought they got a little unlucky um and that Reynoso was was having a good day and so you know it's gonna be interesting to see <clears throat> what what do the red bulls look like going forward are the is this sustainable and um, what are they? What are they going to do against uh, a Chicago team that probably is going to be a little motivated, seeing uh, that their game really uh, was a little bit closer than the three three zero result? Um, you know that that maybe would would show on the scoreboard. So, yeah, I it, I'm with you. It'll it'll be interesting to see what what they look like. And are they a playoff team? Are they not a playoff team? I don't know. They have some impressive wins on their resume against Toronto and and. But they also, you know, have struggled and had had some closer games. So we'll just have to see. I think, I mean, and uh, Andres, I think you're touching on the Orlando's, like the surprise. This team's been up and down. I I think it's been home and away, too. They've had their games. um, They've had basically every kind of game you could have so far this season. They had, uh, you know, games where they uh, dominated at home, I think, versus Montreal, I think, in the first game. They came out and they beat him like, 2-0 or something like that in the first game of the season. It might have been four, I forget. And they just, you know, you know, basically dominated from start to finish. They had that game versus the Fire, which was really weird, and they just couldn't score. 
They had that draw against or at Chicago where they just came out and played flat after I think it was week two. So they've been up and down all season. But at home, I think they've looked good enough that they can, you know, hopefully control most teams that they would play or at least, you know, get some kind of chances going forward. I can't really remember too many great chances that they had in this game. And I think that goes to show that, you know, maybe it just is a sustainability issue. Maybe it was the one-off game, but a team with talent, I think you want to start, you know, even though the Red Bulls are a really good team, you want to start being these teams at home. I, Andres, I don't know if that was kind of your point, but if you want to kind of expand on that, I think that would be, you know, worthwhile. Yeah, that's that's basically where I was going with it. They, they've been pretty good. My concern with them is more, you know, in the back line without Antonio Carlos, how, how solid they were going to be defensively um and even with the the losses that they've had they've they've brought in Erkan Kara uh, as a striker and Pato's healthy and and they both looked pretty good um and even Facundo Torres looks pretty good so that's why that's why I said it was a surprising result to see how not just the result because if if you tell me Red Bull went to Orlando and got a a 1-0 win or or a 0-0 draw that that wouldn't have been surprising, but if you tell me they they went to Orlando, uh, they put up three goals, um, even though Orlando had the majority of the possession and Orlando didn't really create anything. Um, it it might be a one-off game. They've been pretty good going forward the whole season. Let's see let's see what what happens here in the next couple of weeks. But it was it was not expected. Um, let's put it that way. This is the result that most surprised me for this week. Yeah, I can completely see that. Um... I think that's good for that game. I think it was, yeah, just basically a, a Red Bull masterclass kind of. I mean, we often use masterclass, uh, you know, sometimes too much. You know, sometimes it's, you know, a, a, a tad overused, I'd say. But I think in this case, it's exactly how this team wants to play, um, you know, especially with that backbone um, being those uh, three center backs in the back, Aaron Long, the anchor, um, you know. We haven't touched on him too much, uh, but he's just such a good player, and I'm so glad that he's back because he he's actually scored a few this season. He's been so good. Um, yeah, Matt, do you want to hit on Aaron Long real quick? I just I, I just want to say in MLS, I, certainly uh, one of the best in 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 this league. Um, I think we're seeing a lot of injuries come in for the U.S. men's national team. So seeing some other players step up and have these kinds of performances where they are putting out fires on the defense and then a handful of players scoring on going forward, this is what we need to see in this World Cup year. Um, so I'm, I'm hopeful that Aaron Long might be able to go ahead and uh, get into that conversation, uh, but he just needs to keep on having strong performances like this weekend. Yeah, and that will keep getting him called in as he has uh... – or as he was in the last window. So, you know, I think for Aaron Long, uh, he's back, and he's, I think, cherishing that opportunity that he's been given uh, the second chance after the ACL. So I think I'll just hit a couple quick score lines if anybody wants to jump in on them, and then we can uh, just get out of here. FC Dallas 2-1 over the Dynamo. Um, a comeback win in uh, Copa Tejas. Uh, Dallas take down uh, the Dynamo uh, with two late goals from... I'm not even gonna try and pronounce that uh, the uh, player who made it one one. I have might have heard it in the past, but I can't. It's N T S A B E L 
NG. So if you're a Dallas fan, sorry, I'm not going to try. I'm going to butcher in that sa- for sure. Insabling, something like that. Insabling? Insabling. Honestly, that sounds really good, and I'm going to run with that. Uh, Siki Insabling, maybe? I don't know. If if we got that wrong, don't add me, please. And then uh, Facundo Quinon, um on 90 plus 3, winning the game for Dallas. Uh, as, you know, they continue to bat- battle out at the top of the table. Um top-ish of the table, uh, like we were uh, touching on in prior weeks. Um, all three Texas teams remain in the playoff spots uh, with that crazy turnaround from last season. Um, other big games, uh, the Union uh, tie Montreal at home. So it's two straight games without a win now for the uh, Union. Um, I don't think... Given it- that their own head coach called boring. Uh yeah, which I mean, hey. <laughs> rough, rough, rough uh, TV uh, presence on that one, but yeah, yeah, one, yeah, one, one in that one in Chester. The second time that these teams have played already this season. Um, last time it was the Union taking a two-one win. Um, in Montreal this time one-one. Uh, in Eastern Pennsylvania, other big games. There's a lot of ties, a lot of boring games, honestly. Um. I guess the last uh, quick scoreline I'll hit on before we get out of here is Inter-Miami 2-1 over Atlanta United, where we saw the uh, the now-made inf- infamous uh, huddle on the pitch um, after the game uh, by Phil Neville. Um, in a game where Inter-Miami, I think, this was a, this was my surprise of the weekend, I think. Inter-Miami coming out, um, Campana keeping up his wonderful form, gets a goal, gets an assist, and... Uh, Inter Miami come back. Uh, you know, Atlanta went up one nil in this game. They grabbed two afterwards, and I think just a solid enough game plan to carry it through. Atlanta had a lot of the ball, a lot of the chances, and yet um, Inter Miami were able to uh, stay strong in the back. Good performances and goal from Marsman, um, and across the back line, uh, as they do win two one, and you know have started to show signs of improvement from last year. I'm not going to say they're all the way there, um, but I think they're pretty close. So, yeah, I, I think that's just about it for the weekend of MLS. Uh, at the top of the table, uh, Philadelphia remains uh, top in the East by three points. In the West, it's LAFC. And on top of the league, it's LAFC. They also grabbed three points at the weekend, by the way. I think the only thing that I would sort of add off of sort of that general rundown is that I think the alarm bells should be going off in Atlanta. They have just really struggled since losing Joseph and even um, Ozzy Alonso. And so I, I think, you know, if you're an Atlanta fan, you're looking at the standings and you're going, oh, look at us above the playoff line. But I, I don't think that that tells the whole picture. I think that they, they really are in a troublesome spot. They just have not produced offensively. Yeah, I, I think they're the team that's most likely that they need to go ahead and bring in somebody, I think, through the midfield to go ahead and strengthen up on there, and then that will give them a little bit more opportunity going forward. Some stuff to watch out of Atlanta. Yeah, Cisneros hasn't even been terrible up top for them. He scored in this game, but I think they're going to need, you know, staying performances from everywhere on the field. That, that that front line hasn't been bad at all. They just haven't grabbed as many goals as you would initially thought. I mean, in this game, there was more for the taking, and they just couldn't get them. So. I don't think it's like a lack of chances up top. I think it's more stability everywhere else in the pitch, particularly that, you know, holding midfield role as, you know, they got, you know, Tiago Almada, they got Cisneros up top. It's just everywhere else. Um, you you hope to be strengthened. Obviously, 
Dragazan going down. I think that was uh, not not this uh, weekend of games that we were, uh, we were recapping, but the one before. You know, hopefully he's okay. Obviously with the um, Achilles. Um, so yeah, hopefully they can get strength in those positions and they'll be back in better than ever. So yeah, solid performances all around. And uh, anything you guys want to touch on, and we can uh, head out. No, good week of soccer. Lots of mixed games uh, between some. I, I really wish that they could have spread the scoring around a little bit more, having watched the entirety of a nil-nil Sporting Columbus draw. So uh, maybe next week. Big game tomorrow night. Let's see what the Sounders do with Pumas. Yeah, big game tomorrow night. Uh, let's go Sounders. That's uh, the cry here, especially That's from right. John as a Seattle fan. <laughs> um, right. But yeah, uh, let's go Sounders as they take on Pumas tomorrow night. First leg will be next we- or will be tomorrow. Second leg will be next Wednesday in Seattle, and uh, that's the big one. Let's uh, finally bring it home for the MLS in the Concacaf Champions League, and we'll be back hopefully next Tuesday to recap all those games. Uh, so until then, um, enjoy life, enjoy the beautiful game, and thank you so much for listening. Here's to a Seattle win in the Champions League.